Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus. It's a look at people, places, and things right here in our own backyard. Today, our guest is Fett. Now, you say some people call you Fett Nashville. That's right. But really, just Fett. Just Fett. As long as they call me, they can call me anything they want, but I usually go by Fett. It's like Cher or Madonna, you say. Exactly. All you need is one name. And so, Fett and his wife, Nancy, are owners of Azalea Studios. We'll be telling you more about that, and we'll post the link on our Focus Facebook page. Now, Fett, welcome, first of all. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Uh, So, we want to talk about Azalea Studios, AzaleaMusic.com, and some of the things that you do here in Music City. And one is empowering women in audio. So what is that? Let's talk about that first. Well, it's a series of clinics that we started about seven years ago. Uh, they're for uh, exclusively for women. So all the students at every clinic uh, are women. And it's a combination of uh, learning skills, teaching people about production and recording, but also a sort of a bonding experience for women audio engineers, singer-songwriters, self-recording artists, and people like that. Uh, as a result of the industry changing so much, the old adage used to be that 4% of the jobs in audio production were women. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, that's changing really significantly now. But the numbers are still pretty small. So that was sort of the genesis of the idea. We're like, well, there's a bunch of folks out there who would love to learn this stuff, and we're going to teach them how to do it and give them a chance to bond in the process. Yeah, it's not like uh, we females just can't get our heads around that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that made me come up with this idea was this whole kind of car mechanic syndrome where, you know, a woman takes her car to the auto shop, right? Mm-hmm. And she gets this line of gobbledygook from the guy working there as if she doesn't have any clue what she's doing. Yeah. And then she goes home and her husband brings the exact same car back <clears throat> with exactly the same problem and gets a completely different treatment from the person working at the auto shop. And it's any kind of technical thing. uh, And there's a lot of it in the music industry, Mm -hmm. again, which is fortunately changing. But that's sort of the history that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women uh, aren't taken seriously in the studio when they very often have the absolute best idea in the room. They just need to be heard. Wow. So empowering women in audio, what does that do then? Well, it's a five-day clinic. It's an immersive clinic that covers the entire audio production process from start to finish. Mm -hmm. So what that means is we talk about acoustics. We talk about mics and other equipment. We set up the studio for a recording session. We do pre-production. We do Nashville number charts, all that kind of stuff to get ready for a recording. Then we bring in a whole team of Nashville session pros, all of whom have decades of experience working on studio sessions here in Nashville. We actually record the song. We do one song. Uh, my wife, Nancy Moran, is a singer-songwriter, and she's usually our, our uh, what we call guinea pig artist. <laughs> so she's the one in the hot seat. We usually do one of her songs, and she's uh, the performer and the artist. Uh, and then after that day, we, t- we spend a whole day on the recording itself and all the various facets of it. It's very hands-on. Then we spend the next day mixing and the final day mastering. So we go through the entire production of a song Nashville style from beginning to end okay would you break it down for us just a little bit like what is pre-production you 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 popped some terms in there that I think some of us would be interested in knowing and maybe might lead someone who is interested in learning more about audio sure Sure. pre-production is all the stuff you have to do really ideally before you go into the studio so that's things like picking the tempo of the song oh picking the key of the song that's right for the singer or the other performers Uh, deciding what the arrangement is, what instrumentation is going to be on it. Uh, If you work with loops and that kind of thing, maybe get your beats and what have you kind of generally lined up in advance 
so that you bring them into the studio and start working from that point forward rather than from scratch. Yeah. And then there's, uh, I mentioned the Nashville number system. It's a, uh, a way of charting songs that's been used here for many, many years, originally started in Memphis, where it reflects what all the different instruments and the different members of the band are going to do while they're playing the song. So instead of everybody having to figure out the song while they're recording, mm-hmm. they're focusing much more on execution of their parts and what they would do on their own instrument. Oh, that's So nice. there's a, a lot of work that goes on. And for many people, that's a real eye-opener. Uh, we're all taught sort of, you know, seat of the pants, start out with a piece of software and a microphone and be expected to be audio producers mm-hmm. or, or music producers. And that whole notion of upfront pre-production and what have you is normal for people who do it all the time. But for a lot of people who are new to it, it's they've never heard of it before. And why is it important that we know that? I, I have a, a, a philosophy that the more work you do on the front end, the more work you save on the back end. Yep. It's sort of like an 80-20 rule, uh, and then do the 20% of the work uh, after the fact instead of the other way around. And now you have to tell people what an 80-20 rule is. <laughs> <laughs> an 80-20 rule basically says you want to do uh, the bulk of the work up front and the minimal amount on the back end. Mm-hmm. And it gives you more chance to be spontaneous. And to tweak and to refine what your delivery is. We do that with radio. We do show prep and then we do the show. Yeah. And and the interesting thing that comes out of that is when you're not focused on things like uh, the tempo of the song or trying to figure out what a part should play and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. You're very much in the moment musically. You're in a creative mode rather than a left brain technical mode. Ah. And it makes all the difference for the performance. You can you can feel and hear a difference when somebody has done all that upfront yeah. work versus hasn't. And uh, another part of it, which is uh, upfront work, is getting your microphones positioned correctly and selecting the right kind of microphone, whether it's a for a voice or a guitar or uh, a bass or drums. You make different choices based on that. If you make all those choices up front, then you don't have to undo any mistakes on the back end. And it, you get to be in total creative mode, which is kind of why most people get into the music thing to begin with. Right. Not to turn a bunch of knobs and dials and worry about technical stuff. They want to have that fun part, that moment where you're just, it's just flowing from I you. call it the joy that comes from music. Yeah. I love that. Can everybody afford to do recording then if you have to have different mics for everything? That is a great question. And the the shocker is literally anyone can afford to do recording now, whereas 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was very cost prohibitive. Uh, You didn't have the right kind of environment. And now with today's uh, sound treatment tools and acoustic uh, products and stuff like that, you can set up a really great recording space for minimal money in your bedroom, in your spare bedroom if you want to. I recorded spots in my closet. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And that that phenomenon was unheard of 25 years ago. True. Uh, The other side of it is the, the actual recording equipment itself, like microphones, uh, the recording software, which has replaced all the all the gear, the physical gear and yeah. the analog chain back in the day, is dirt cheap or free. So I, I like to tell people that in order to get a, quote, studio quality microphone 20 years ago, you started about 800 to a thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, that would be like for, a, you know, a, a 414, an AKG 414 mic, which was very, very common. then, And that was a lot of money. Back then. Yeah, yeah, it was an awful lot of money. And it went up to about $3,000 for, say, a Neumann U87, which is another very, very popular mic for many decades. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, that's 800 to $3,000 just for one microphone. Yeah. Now you can get a microphone for literally one-tenth that price, like 80 to $300, which is at least as good a quality, if not better, uh, as those two. So you're starting at a very, very low cost. And uh, I know lots of folks who start with free recording software. Mm-hmm. They don't pay a penny for it. There's a lot of really good ones out there. Some are shareware where you kind of donate what you want to. Right. But instead of having to spend anywhere from $250,000 to a million dollars to get the gear in a studio to oh, record, wow. you can spend virtually nothing. Wow. So anybody can do it now. I remember years ago, it was the thing like, Joe's got a recording studio in his backyard. He's put a recording studio in his basement, and now it's like he's got a computer. He has a recording studio. I mean, it's changed so, so much. Yeah, not only does he have a computer or she have a computer, but they've got it in their on their lap in their car. <laughs> I know people who've recorded albums in cars. No seriously, way. And they sound phenomenal. No way. They learned a few of the techniques and tricks that we talk about in Empowering Women in Audio, but... But that stuff can be done virtually anywhere now. Even on a cell phone, you can get good quality. And you notice I defaulted to he has a recording studio uh-huh. in his backyard because that is how it used to be. Right. It was almost always he has. And now we're getting to more of she has and she can and she's the best. Well, one of the things that, that is really inspiring to me is that I could name on one hand the women producers in the world 25 years ago. There, it was a very, very small, specific list. And I see more and more and more of my own students and other women who are not only becoming producers and audio engineers and opening their own studios, but they're winning Grammys Ooh. and they're recording albums for other people and they're really expanding their reach. Now, there are hundreds, thousands of them out there who are doing uh, as well as at least all the guys that they've you know learned from and grown up with in in the audio industry over the last few decades. That's really inspiring to me. Why was that important to you to empower women? Well, yeah, the women listeners look at this, but I was surrounded by a lot of female energy my whole life. I grew up in a house with a mom and two two older sisters, <laughs> no brothers. Uh, it was me and my dad, and so I got a lot of influence from my mom, from my grandmother. My mom was responsible for teaching me how to play guitar, for getting into music. She was always my biggest supporter uh, as far as my music itself, but also my music career. Uh, I, I just happened to uh, get lucky that one of my major mentors was a woman named Kim Person, uh, who's the producer for Tommy Emanuel, very, very famous, world-famous guitar player. Mm-hmm. She taught me a, a lot about the ropes. The thing I noticed for me was, if I'd go to a music conference or something like that to teach, as the years went on, there were more and more women in my classes, uh, percentage-wise, than men. And then every other activity I got involved in, like if I was producing albums, I was producing more and more albums for women. And I started to realize that this was sort of a unique phenomenon because a lot of my guy friends, my colleagues, weren't seeing the same thing. And I realized that whatever I was doing, whatever my approach was, made women feel very, very safe, very supportive. uh, And it just kind of resonated with me, I guess is the best word. Yeah. And so I I feel like I've got a rapport with women. I feel very comfortable. You know, the joke is at these clinics that I teach, I'm just one of the girls by the end of the week kind (laughs) of thing. But what happens, it's really fascinating, if you give anyone the the right supportive environment, Mm -hmm. 
uh, they they can change very, very quickly and, and gain a lot of confidence. So the typical thing that happens in empowering women in audio clinics is uh, we usually have about 10 people in a, in a clinic, 10 women. And so they all come in on the first day. It's a Monday and they're kind of scoping out the situation and getting a feel for, for what's going on. And they're kind of shy and timid and there's not a lot of conversation going on. And that usually starts to break about halfway through the afternoon and they start to interact more and, and they get more vocal and more verbal with one another and, and asking each other questions and stuff. Well, by Friday, by the time Friday rolls around at the end of the clinic, they are like, we are going to take over the world. Not only can we do this, but we've just done it. And it's just fascinating to me. And it happens every single clinic to watch that transformation take place. Because we have people who walk in the door and they're like, I don't know the first thing really, I'm not even exactly sure why I'm here, but I've dabbled a little bit and I wanted to find out more. And they're the ones who by the end of the week are the most empowered and they end up literally producing hit albums for other people a couple of years later. It's just really inspiring for me. So that lets you go to bed, put your head on your pillow at night and going like, yeah. Here, here. Well. you know, it's, it's interesting you should say that because, you know, my wife and I, Nancy Moran and I, uh, have been in Nashville for 30 years, but we've been in the music industry together for longer than that. And one of the reasons we started our company was to sort of give people a, a peer relationship with an industry professional. So what I mean is there's no hierarchy. There's no insider versus outsider There's no seasoned pro versus newbie kind of attitude. We treat every one of our clients like they're us. Yeah. And it's amazing how much better the work goes when you do that. But it empowering people in general has always been a part of what we do. Right. And that's because we were fortunate enough to have mentors ourselves who kind of took us under their wing or took us seriously early on when we just started uh, getting going. Mm -hmm. And so we've tried to pass that on to other people. Wow. Well, I can understand how that works in not only music, but in in everything. Absolutely. When you're like, well, just trust me. This is how it needs to be done. Or you're like, now, what did you say about this? What do you you think about this? I understand when you let people step up and claim that power that they have, it does let them grow. Well, ironically enough, I didn't realize just how powerful that was until I moved to Nashville. I remember when, uh, when Nancy and I were first considering moving here. We talked to a few people from Nashville, like the songwriter Don Henry, who uh, is very, very well known here. And we were astonished at how supportive people were and how open and giving they were with information. Mm -hmm. We came from the uh, D.C. Baltimore area that had about six million population at that time. But it didn't have any of this openness that Nashville had. And you think, well, Nashville's very competitive because there's so many people trying to be in the industry and everything else. And it was exactly the opposite of what we expected. Wow. So when we got to Nashville, we learned that if you're a newcomer, you get treated like a peer and you go to the back of the line, just like everyone else does when they first arrive. Yeah. But the job of all of us who are already here is to help you through the line. And that was just a mind blower to us. We could not believe that people were like that. And it's still that way after 30 years. Yeah. So that really kind of raised things up many, many notches for us. It's like, well, if we're going to be in this town and we're going to participate, we have to do that too. Uh, and that's why we both became teachers and we do a lot of music conferences and stuff like that to mm-hmm. 
But you do it as a peer instead of I shall impart my knowledge and bestow it upon you. It's like, hey, here's what I found. Rather than perpetrating our lies upon the masses, we're like, (laughs) okay, let's get real here. Let's let's get down to brass tacks and and talk real stuff. And And people appreciate that. I I agree. Um, So if you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie and this is Focus and we're talking with Fett. People call him Fett Nashville. He has, along with his wife, Nancy Moran, Azalea Studios. You can get info at azaleamusic.com. Who takes the Empowering Women in Audio courses? Well, it, it actually kind of runs the gamut. Uh, we have uh, people who are just musicians, and they're interested in doing a better home recording oh. uh, of themselves. Uh, they're not interested in you know working with other people or, or producing their projects. Or We have some people who don't even have an interest in actually hands-on doing recording and production, but they're about to go into the studio into a professional studio and they want to know the lingo and the process and and sort of the whole unspoken, you know, vibe that goes on there. So when they're asked a question or they're participating or they want to make a suggestion, they sort of know what to talk about. So we we do a lot of that kind of thing about how does the process typically work and what terminology is used and and what are the the common practices and things like that. And then you've got a group of women who they've known for a really long time that they're super jazzed about this recording stuff and they want to open a studio of their own yeah. and have clients of their own, mostly women, interestingly enough. Uh, I would say 90% of the women in our clinics who go on to be engineers and producers uh, work with women uh, as clients. So huh. it's it's a, a very good kind of pass it on thing Wow, where they realize that, oh, as a woman, I've actually got something special here that I can offer to other women that they're not going to get from an environment that's all a bunch of guys. So you mentioned before we started recording today that you help people avoid shark producers, Mm -hmm. that you've done uh, courses or classes or clinics on how to avoid shark producers. Yeah, there's a guy named Vinny Rebus here in uh, in Nashville who's been in the music industry for many, many years. And he has a a site called Cartney.com, as in Paul McCartney without the muck. (laughs) <laughs> uh, cartney.com and he has an entire series up there of free videos for people about how to avoid sharks when it comes to publishers or producers or uh, tour managers or any oh. you know accountants lawyers any any number of different things in the industry by sharks that means these are people who uh, will take advantage of you especially if you're naive about something uh, unnecessarily and one of the things you learn when you move to Nashville is that, uh, unfortunately, there are some sharks here. The percentage is not very high of, of people in the industry, but there are a few, and they tend to charge way, way higher than the market rate for things like production services and studios mm-hmm. and what have you. They will make promises they can't keep. They'll take advantage of people who kind of have stars in their eyes, and it's all about the fame and what have you. What are some of the red flags? And and I know you know not only in the producer side, on the producer side, but in some of the other aspects. So what are some red flags that people just new to Nashville should start to look for in a personality type that they're dealing with? Yeah, if they come across as a used car salesman, that, that's usually, <laughs> that raises a flag right away. It's a certain type of personality that we all kind of know. in Kind of that high pressure, do it now. Yeah, yeah, if they put you under any kind of pressure at all. Uh, especially if they're like, oh, here's this great idea I have for you. Please sign a contract right now in the next five minutes. Uh, you want to run the other way for yeah. sure. Okay, that's good. Uh, another thing is if they make promises that are not possible to fulfill, for example, I'm going to get you airplay on 
300 radio stations, or I'm going to get you a record deal with such and such a label, or I'm going to uh, make sure that you can sell sold-out venues on a tour overseas, uh, that kind of thing. There are so many factors that go into success in those areas that mm-hmm. no one person can promise you any of that stuff. Right. If they mention a price that seems astronomically high, there's a very good chance it is. Mm. Uh, this happens a lot with demo producers. You know, uh, it's it's things have changed a little bit because so many people can do it themselves right. now. But there used to be a time when a producer. Uh, I had a lot of unfortunately clients who came who came to me after they'd been through this, but they got charged nineteen thousand dollars to produce a, a three song demo, or thirty thousand dollars to do. You know. Uh, a few songs with minimal instrumentation and stuff. Well, oh. Nashville's prices are very, very reasonable and competitive. And, uh, you know, anyone who's spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a single song needs to look elsewhere. So that's a big red flag. And the re- part of the reason we're very competitive is because we have so many people who can do the quality work. Right. We, we have this kind of expression that, you know, if you turn around and throw a stone in Nashville, you're you're bound to hit at least three professional musicians of super high quality with the same stone. I mean, that's, that's how a lack of term, you know, saturated this market is with phenomenal musicians. Well, because there are so many, there are very, very reasonable rates that they charge. So everybody gets work. Uh, And whether they're in the union or not, the the rates are still very, very competitive. Uh, And so if you just ask two or three other people, instead of the first person you encounter, you'll immediately see that there's a very, very different range of prices than the typical kind of shark high stuff that they quote to you i notice a lot of people do come to town with the stars in their eyes kind of thing and also with the knowledge that they were a big fish in a Mm -hmm. small pond right and they really kind of overestimate their talent and when somebody feeds into that they're like oh my gosh you're going to be as big as garth brooks or whatever they feed into that rather than helping them realize here's here's where we are Here's what we can get. And right. Here's what we can do. And, yeah. And that, that goes back to what we we're saying about treating somebody like a peer. If you get some guy who goes, oh, you sound your songs are just as good as Loretta Lynn. And I know that I can make you a superstar and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. They're just blowing smoke. Yeah. Uh, if you have somebody who sits down with you and, and says the music industry is difficult uh, and it takes a lot of work, but it can be very fulfilling and successful. That's a whole different conversation. And then their focus should be on how you do that process. Not here, I'll do it all for you. And you just sit back and, you know, pay me lots and lots of money and I'll take care of you kind of thing. Right. That's not how the music industry works. Okay. So that, that, that's a big red flag to, to look out for is they, they pretend like they, they do things the old major label way where here you pay us, you know, uh, your, your first hundred thousand dollars worth of royalties you get and we'll, 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 you know, wine and dine all the industry people and do parties and stuff for oh, you. No, wow. no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> That's circa 1975. It doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> if you're just joining us, this is Focus, and we're talking with Fett. Uh, he and his wife, Nancy Moran, own Azalea Studios. You can get info at azaleamusic.com. And we've been talking about the empowering women in audio clinics that they do. You do this uh, how often each year? Usually two. Uh, we took a little break during the pandemic years, but we're, we're very, very happy to be back teaching them again. Our next one is in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's October 9th through 13th, 2023. 
It's a Monday through Friday thing. I wanted so badly days. to come, but we're, we've set vacation days already for part of that week. I was like, no. Well, we'll just have to make another one just for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it the Anna Marie series. There we go. Y'all, come on. Come on. We'll do it like Loretta Lynn. No, I'm kidding. That's right. I'm kidding. So a couple of times a year. Usually in, in April and October. It okay. varies depending on what other events are going on in Nashville that time of year. But we try to kind of target at the same two general time frames so people can plan ahead. Do people come from out of state? All over the world. We've had people register as far away as Germany and, and come to the clinics. Wow. Which shows kind of how much they value the the knowledge and, and the, the Nashville experience and everything else. Because, of course, while they're here, they're able to go out in the evenings after class and, and see what Nashville has to offer, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. But it's it's less about a geographic dispersion uh, than it is about a certain type of personality. One of the things that got me started on this road was realizing from working with women myself in the studio that there are different what I call sensibilities that women bring to the production process. Like what? Well, for example, women have a different hearing range than men do in two ways. They hear a different range of frequencies. They have a much, much more a high-end uh, frequency uh, perception than men do, but also changes in volume in what we call sound pressure levels. So if you and I, with equal skills in produ producing and engineering, sit down in front of a set of speakers to mix a song, you will mix it differently than I will just because your hearing is different. Oh, my. And this is one of the things I learned from working with Kim Person all those years was that she would hear stuff in the mix that I wouldn't hear. And the same thing when I'm working with, uh, with my wife, Nancy Moran, when she's doing vocals in the studio. She's very, very sensitive to sibilance, which is the sort of extreme S and T sounds that can be overemphasized by a lot of microphones and recording equipment mm -hmm. and stuff. Women hear sibilance much, much better than men do. Wow. And so they will compensate for that in a mix and get you a much smoother result or whatever word you want to use for it. So that's a huge part of it, I think. And that's biological, natural, whatever uh, the reason for that. But the other thing I find is that when you get a bunch of women together, there's a, a dynamic that takes place that doesn't happen when it's a bunch of women and men together. The, the contributions of the women in the group are treated differently than if it's a mixed gender or it's like one woman in a, in a room full of men. Mm -hmm. So the typical situation I've seen before is men are taught culturally and in many ways for good reasons to be decisive yeah. and to fight for their opinion yeah. and to, to be heard and uh, to try to convince the other party that they're right in order to move ahead and do well in business and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Women are taught to be a little bit more empathetic and yeah. listen more and, and have a little bit more sensitivity to other people's opinions. And so if you get a room full of five women in a studio and there's some decisions to be made versus five men, you're going to get a very, very different discussion. Huh. The men are going to try to be knowingly, understandably sort of macho and, and, and forceful and push their opinions because that's what they've been taught to do. Yeah. And if you've got a woman in the studio in that situation, she's going to get drowned out. Yes. And she may be the one who's got the solution, the right idea. Yeah. Whereas if you get a lot of women together in the studio, they're going to do a little bit more give and take, a little more back and forth, a little bit more, you know what, let's try this too. Yeah. And so good ideas 
and good uh, techniques and things like that have much more of a chance to bubble to the surface. Mm -hmm. So that's the cultural part of it, not just the, you know, the hearing and the physical stuff. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That that would be so interesting to hear the same song done by men and women. I have I have done that experiment and it's really fascinating. And fortunately, it's sort of played out to my own, you know, suspicions about about what the results would be. Well, it makes sense, though. Like you said, culturally, we're taught to do this and this is the right thing to do. And I have seen the the lone woman say, well, I don't know. I don't know that I liked that. And then I've seen the musicians go, oh, no, that was fine. Mm-hmm. Completely overruled her. Like, I don't know. I don't think that was quite right. And they're like, no, that's fine. I've seen that. Absolutely. I, I hate to say this, but many, many of my students come to the clinics because of horror stories they've got about previous experience in studios. I was not happy with this product sort of thing. Right. Or they, they were just completely uh, run roughshod over. So they, you know, they're the one, they're the artist or whatever, paying the money to all the musicians and the engineer and the producer. Yeah. But they never got heard once in the entire process. But what's really interesting is it's not a better or worse thing. It's not like women, you know, if, if you have only women involved in a project that you're going to get a better result than only men or vice versa. The magic happens when you get a mutual respect from the men towards the women and vice versa. Everybody gets an opinion. Everybody gets to be heard. And, you know, one of the good things about uh, men being taught to uh, be decisive and what have you is maybe the process won't take as long. Because they might say, okay, we've heard from everybody. Let's narrow it down to these three choices and let's pick one. Right. Whereas it's possible that the women might want to go, well, there's three more opinions we'd like to hear. And that's not a qualitative thing at all. It's just I I have seen it happen myself. And this is one of the reasons we choose very, very specific uh, musicians to be in the the studio band Mm -hmm. and in the clinics when everybody's on the same page. That's when everything goes up several levels and you get the magic happening. We're out of time, but is there anything else that you'd like to add that uh, you feel is important to add that I've neglected to ask you about? Well, I guess the only other thing I'll say is uh, that we keep these clinics very small uh, because if you have 25 people in a clinic, uh, you just don't have the same Q&A ability and, and, and what have you. We like to keep them small and intimate so that people get their questions answered. They get to talk to the musicians and what have you. So we limit them usually to 10 or 12 people. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody wants to be involved, they can go to empoweringwomenandaudio.com. There's lots of information there. I think the October Clinic already has uh, five or six slots filled, so there's a few more. Good. Thank you. Fett of Fett Nashville, he and his wife Nancy Moran own Azalea Studios. You can get more info at azaleamusic.com. You can also find out more about the Empowering Women in Audio at that website or at empoweringwomeninaudio.com. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. Make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.